This is Design School as a podcast for the growing designer. Those interested in design, starting their career in design, or looking for a reminder of why they went into design. On this episode, we talk with Mitzi Oku, a senior interaction designer at Spotify and founder of Where Are the Black Designers. Mitzi talks about her journey from studying classical music to UX design, about how transparency begets a more forgiving culture, and her work in pushing the needle for diversity and representation so we truly don't have to ask, Where Are the Black Designers anymore? Mitzi Oku, thank you for being on. This is Design School with us. I am so glad to be here. Well, thank you for joining us and uh, being one of our first people to talk to uh, during this pandemic um, about Design School and about the design process. Um, why don't we get started by giving us a little bit of background. Uh, how did you get into design? Yeah, it's a pretty uh, interesting and long journey. So background to kind of everything. I started off um, in classical music. So I started when I was like four, went through with it through elementary school, middle school, high school, got to college, went to music school for two years. And after my second year, I was just kind of like, I want to solve for people that look like me that are experiencing like all of these, you know, like socioeconomic issues because I had this like racial awakening when I got to college and I was like I, I'm I wanted I want to do it with music because I'm in it now but I just feel like it's not really possible um and because of that and I was at this like predominantly white conservatory it kind of like got to me and I was like you know what? I don't think I want to do this anymore and also this future is not financially sustainable so I went and I told my parents completely worried that they were going to be like you know what like we spent all this money and all this time and energy but they were super amazing about it they were like yeah we were kind of feeling that you weren't really passionate about the cello anymore because I was getting a classical music uh degree and so they were like okay you know you can you can drop out of music school that's fine but what what do you want to do you have to do something and I was like and they're like you know you're super into art and I was like yeah I think I want to do like something with like art and technology but I just I just don't know what it's called and they're like okay like just book some tours you know some school tours around the country and so I did and my dad booked a school tour for me a private one at SCAD and so we went down there and you know they had all of these amazing like people giving me a great tour and like counselors and they were kind of like what do you want to do and I was like um I think I want to do something with like art and technology but again I just I just didn't know what it was called and I, and I was like I don't know what it's called and they were like mm -hmm. okay it seems like you want to do like graphic design so just like try that out and so when I got in like got into my major classes and everything did graphic design I was like okay this is great this is amazing um and it's getting closer but it's not it's not exactly what I want like to do like it, it didn't hit the the sweet spot that I was looking for so I went to my counselor and I was like there's something more that I want to do and I was hearing like UX being thrown around at my oh, school yeah, because yeah. their program just opened up when I got there and he was like okay well you know it seems like you want to do UX and it seems like that's of interest so 
He was like, you can either take a computer, a computer math class. And I was like, no, I'm not taking a math class. <laughs> and, and then he was like, or you can take a human computer interaction class. And I was like, I think I, you know, will try out that class. Even though it sounded intimidating, I had no idea what it is. I thought it was programming. I just didn't know anything about it. And then I got there and my professor, Yunki Chung, taught that class. And the way he taught it and the way he explained it and the projects he had us do were just so great. And it, that class was the class that really made it clear to me that like interaction, like UX was exactly what I wanted to do. So during that time, I really worked hard because I was like really passionate about it. And then I like competed in some hackathons, like got a fellowship at um, IDEO. So like spent some time there. Um, like won a hackathon at SCAD, like placed in a hackathon at MIT and whatnot. And then, you know, that kind of like led to me just like graduating with a graphic design degree, but like minoring in interaction design. And then, yeah, that's kind of the journey that I got into for, for how I became a designer. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. What, I mean, you mentioned there was kind of like this pivot point uh, after you took that class in HCI, like what was it about that that kind of tipped it for you? Mm -hmm. It was just like the endless opportunities to create anything, but have mm -hmm. your creations be beneficial to anybody that wanted it to benefit from. So that was like really, really cool to see what you were producing like impact somebody in a way, whether it's positive or negative, but just produce something that could help somebody. So that was a turning point for me. And I was like, this is exactly what I'm looking for. I'm looking to use my skills to positively impact uh, people. So, yeah. You mentioned you did like lots of hackathons and fellowships and stuff like that. Were you in the projects you were doing and approaching in those, did they have like sp specific themes or approaches or, um, what kind of problems were you tackling in those? Yeah, so I mean, they honestly varied. So with the hackathon at IDEO, because it was a part of this, it was for this initiative called Open Music Initiative, which is the brainchild of IDEO, MIT, I think MIT, and Berkeley College of Music, where they're trying to kind of like create new music technology that kind of creates new like red like a stream of revenue for just like musicians and solving like creatively solving issues within the music industry so that was just kind of like you know music technology themed and we were like just kind of um basically creating projects that were like proof of concept that you know we could use creative technology to solve a lot of issues within the music industry and then you know with scad hackathons that was just more based off of kind of like using um your skills to solve for potentially like uh like federal socioeconomic issues um and then with like mit hackathons that's just kind of like you can do whatever you want like just with this like really broad theme hmm. of just like you know humans making anything yeah so scad and while at scad doing a variety of these fascinating projects uh, what happened after scad after SCAD, I like hustled and landed a job at HP, um, I think like a few months after. And then I started in September and moved from Atlanta to San Diego and worked at HP for like two years. Um, I just recently left in 
September, I think. Time has swung by. It's so crazy. Um, and yeah, now I'm just kind of like on my way to my next job. From there, how the um, the concept of where all the Black Designers Conference kind of came from um, mm-hmm. after, after that. Was that while you were still at HP or? Mm-hmm. Uh, that was that? while I was still at HP. So okay. um, <clears throat> it was kind of weird because I think after George Floyd happened, which again was like another just innocent a black individual that like kind of sparked another just kind of like summer of just reaction and protest. I I don't know if it was just like because the pandemic just has us inside so we have just like more pent up energy and whatnot. Um it wasn't it wasn't the death of George Floyd that angered me because I think that a lot of us Black people are just kind of like used to that. It was more just like I was seeing companies within my field that I was struggling to even get their attention to get a job, um, posting these stupid black squares and just being like, oh my God, this is so tragic. Like we don't stand for racism and we are just going to donate money to you know, organizations that are combating racial injustice. And I was just kind of like, um, hello, like you are literally contributing to racial injustice by not hiring black people. Because Mm -hmm. for the longest time, you, you know, as a young black individual, I would walk into some of these like, you know, predominantly white institutions and be like the only black person and just be like, you know, this is kind of weird. But then for them to come out and make these statements, I'm like, I'm pretty sure your demographic data shows that, like, there aren't that many Black people. And for you to have the audacity to say that you stand against racial injustice when you're not hiring Black people contributes to racial injustice, it's just so disrespectful and rude and just wrong. And I actually, with my personal account, started calling out just, like, just, like, big-name powerhouse design agencies, IDEA, which is one I, you know, did a fellowship for, Um, and I was just kind of like, that's, that's, that's like not, that's not fair. Like you can't say that. And then with my friend Garrett, who, you know, um, we went to school together, I called him because we originally tried to kind of do something similar at SCAD, but it didn't pick up because of the physical aspect where everyone was just busy and they had to do their own thing. And I was like, Hey, like, I think we should just have like a small, a very small community discussion about just like you know, where are the, where are the black designers, which was also inspired by Maurice Cherry, because he gave a presentation in 2015, um, talking about where the black designers that offered like history and just like a ton of solutions on how we can solve this issue. Um, And, but it was a perfect question to ask. And so he was like, yeah, let's do it. And we were expecting like maybe 50 to 100 people. We were just gonna be happy with that. And then we did a like a digital protest where we just had people, we were just like, let's just attach a poster challenge to it. And let's just have people just, you know, make a poster to promote our events. We're probably not gonna get that many people, but let's just, you know, post this challenge. And I put the instructions and whatnot. And then like, it, it was just kind of like setting off a match. And 
then it just kind of like ignited and then went viral and then you know a ton of people started RSVPing and it got to a point where it went from like a hundred to five hundred we're like okay that's great and then you know exceeded you know a free zoom room that we were just gonna use and then we we're just like looking at the prices because I think it like reached over a thousand people or so and it was so expensive and we had no like we had no experience of putting on big events and we we're just like oh my god let's just pause the RSVPs until we can figure it out and then um, long story short, a lot of people just reached out and just really helped us out, which really goes to show that it wasn't just Garrett and I that put this together. Like we take the credit in the sense that like we, it was our brainchild, but it was really just like a communal effort and people coming together because I think we were just all, you know, allies are very curious about this question. We like black people are just like, yeah, we're out here, but you know, like it, it really was just kind of like this awareness campaign of just like the injustice that, you know, black people have to go through to even be considered to be a designer and how tough that journey is and like, it, and how early it starts and how it's like a pain point at each like obstacle you get to, which is a ton of them. So mm -hmm. that's how that uh, conference came about. I think what's really interesting and powerful about that question and kind of where it started with, with you calling out these big companies, right, is, um, I mean, I know I struggle with this at work sometimes as well. It's like, they're like, well, that's the demographic in our field. Mm -hmm. So the, mm -hmm. the question is like, you know, where, <laughs> where are all the black designers? Like, mm -hmm. are they out there or are they not? Like, and I mean, they clearly are, mm -hmm. but, um, I think what's interesting about that is like talking about the system is like the challenges that get faced all the way from the beginning to mm -hmm. even get to applying to a job. Mm -hmm. um, I was gonna say also just the hurdles as well. You know, I think being a person of color as a designer is not just about um, being able to get access to it, but it's also the mentality of mm -hmm. do I do I have the ability to to go for it or to, to be uh, continuously rejected. And it's like, why bother? Because I know they're going to say no, you know, like, yeah, that's, let, let's say IDEO, that's, um, you know, fill in the blank with whatever large agency it is like, they, they don't hire people like that. They don't mm -hmm. hire people like me. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so why bother? And having to get past yeah. this, this mental, um, this, this mental barrier, I think is, is very hard. You know, I, yeah. I, I've, been, I've been at this for 20 years and I've see, felt it in myself and I've seen it in, in my students and yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's hard. Yeah. It's really hard. And like, I think that's what really angered me because I, I just remembered like having just really vivid flashbacks, you know, when, when these companies would post these black squares, I had like these vivid flashbacks of me sitting in class and just remembering like the teacher talking about these prominent design agencies, but then going to look at the demographic of the company and their designers and seeing that it was all white and just being, you know, questioning and just being like, you know, like, is this really for me? Like, I don't see a black person there, but I mean, it's an opportunity space to be the first, but at the same time, like if I don't see anybody who looks like me there, is it even possible for me to even get to that, level it can only just be a dream at that point and yeah. then and then knowing that like there are plenty of people out there like me and for companies to just have the audacity to be like well we don't know where they are and I'm just like 
Um, I don't think it's the fact that you don't, like, it's not that we're not there. I think it's just like, you need to look at your hiring practices, right? And um, one of our presenters, Elaine, she elegantly, you know, presented the survey that she did that basically proved that, like, um, all of these hiring networks are white, but they also hire, their hiring methods are through word of mouth. So of course you're not gonna find any black people if your word of mouth networks are predominantly white. So it's just like, we need to really talk about that and have a conversation of like hiring practices and, and how to go beyond these word of mouth, you know, you know, white networks and whatnot to really bring in diverse talent because it's for sure out there. It's just that like, companies aren't properly looking and then just like gaslighting black people and be like, well, you're not there, so we can't hire you, you know? Yeah, I find that to be like a, a catch-22, right? Where... Mm -hmm. The, the problem isn't that we're not hiring, it's that they're not there. And the reason they're not there is because we only talk to the people that we know and we don't know mm -hmm. people of color that are designers. And yeah, it's, I, I don't know. How do we break that cycle? What What is it that we need to do to break that? Um, I think it's a very complicated, I mean, I feel like I don't have the answer to that because I'm still trying to figure that out. But I think it's very complex because, um, that problem reaches different levels, right? It's like, we need to look at hiring practices. We need to look at um, talent recruiters and how how they prep, you know, black people for interviews. Like I had a horrible prep interview with the, I'm not gonna say the company, but I had a horrible prep interview with the company to the point where I told them to take out my application because I didn't feel comfortable. Um, but even before then, um, starting at the early childhood education of letting children know that this is like a option that they can do. Like I didn't know design existed until like less than five years ago. So I'm still really new to like all of this. Um, didn't know about it in high school. And even then I'm privileged enough to have parents who um, didn't know about it, but were still like, yeah, like, you know, go, go and do it. But there are other people who are not as fortunate as me who have to convince their parents that this is a sustainable career that they can go into because in a lot of, you know, predominantly black and brown communities um, that are of low income, they equate money to like manual labor or just like the typical like doctor, lawyer, engineer kind of things when that's not really the case like you can be creative and make just as much money as you know a doctor can um so just like bring more awareness to those communities right and then proper um support but also i think like a good relationship with just like so not not proper support just like proper mentorship where students can see themselves but there are also hbcus but I can't speak on HBCUs, but I think from hearing at some of the pain points too, like there needs to be better connections with like, you know, companies going to HBCUs and bringing out that talent as well, right? Because they, because a lot of companies go to select, you know, 
predominantly white institutions like um, what is it, UCSD, where Don Norman teaches, you know, is one of them, but that's a predominantly white school, right? Um, and then also there's, there's properly supporting a black person after they graduate, you know, college. Like, I feel like I didn't get that proper support. I kind of feel like I got my first job all by myself, which, which can be dangerous because I feel like um, the design industry sometimes preys on young designers and their desperation to get their foot in the door. Um, so just like having proper support um, to support black designers when they graduate, right? So they don't end up in these like traumatic like workplaces, but then also, also looking at companies and the fact that they need to work within themselves to change their work culture so that black people want to go work for them. And also when they get there, keep them and not just check them off as like some type of, you know, box that they yeah. met. So it's like, it's an entire journey. It's, and I'm pretty sure there are more problems within that that I'm not even like highlighting, but it's just like a lot. There's not, there's not like one good answer. And even then it's just like, there's like the whole problem of just like, um, we donate money to organizations, but then organizations aren't even upfront with what they do with the money. So how do we know where it's going? But people are just like, oh, because I don't need it. That's it. I'm just going to you know, go about my day yeah. and, Hands and are I clean. Think, exactly. There needs to be some type of like system of accountability for not only, you know, organizations, but individuals to, to really, um, like hold themselves accountable so that like, if they put something out there that they feel like is going towards something beneficial, they need to follow up with that to make sure it's going somewhere that's benefiting, you know, black people. Sorry, that was just like a ramble, but it's just not so complex and there's, there's just so many pain points. So it's like not a simple answer because it's just like a lot. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, and even in changing this practice, I work for a relatively small design agency and we've talked about these things over the years. And one thing we struggle with is like how to, how to bring diversity in without it turning into tokenism, right? Mm -hmm. a bit doing it in a genuine way where you're creating that culture and inviting that conversation in without just checking the box or just mm -hmm. hiring that person just because that reason, which, you know, um, and that's something we, you know, are still figuring it out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think that's fine to still be figuring that out. Right. But yeah. it's just like, it's funny because companies are always just like, yeah, we've been working at it for years. And I'm like, well, why don't you just be upfront with it? Like, why don't you yeah. talk about what your journey is? Because I found that, with where the black designers as a platform now and as an organization, um, I think people, I found that people really appreciate transparency and they're actually more forgiving when you um, are transparent with your journey and making a mistake and learning something because then when you can include people and be like, okay, help me learn and help me recover from this mistake, people are just like more appreciative of just being like, hey, thank you for putting your learning process, you know, out in the open, which encourages like people to, and other companies to accept mistakes. It's like learn from that to be really transparent, which I think breaks down, you know, binary thinking, which then breaks down perfectionism, which is something that a lot of black people are subjected to, which is why you don't see a lot of us out there because that's one of the barriers that's keeping us from down there. So it's just like, I really wish companies would just be more, Transparent because I, I feel like they'll find that people will judge them less about it and just be like more like, okay, I, I understand because you're just being honest about it. Yeah, I think people highly underestimate 
humility as a display of leadership. Mm-hmm. And, and also do not um, see failure as an opportunity for growth. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's the one thing I, I try to tell like black designers is just like, when you're going into, into an interview, you should ask about like how this company fosters failure and mistakes and whatnot. Cause I feel like that's a red flag if they can't do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I only ever call it failure if you stop. Mm, that's, wow. that's a good one. <laughs> Zing. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mitzi, I feel like you are an inspiration to those in the future generations that are wondering what is that combination between design and technology that they don't know <laughs> what it is yet, but they, they know that they have this, this passion for it um, out there. What is it that you wish that you would have seen when you're out there looking for, for that uh, was that in high school or in middle school or, you know, right before college? What, what do you wish that you would have been able to see to say, that's it, and that's where I'm heading? Oh, man, that's a really good question. Um, honestly, I think just seeing more, I wish I would have seen more people like that look like me. I think that's just kind of like my answer. But even even then, I'm starting to see that now. So it's still like a motivation and inspiration because um, it, like in school, I thought I had like in my head and from what I was being taught, I had this level of what talent was and like what good design was. And then after the conference happened and then all these black people got on this platform and started showing their like portfolios and I started meeting with like all these crazy, amazing initiatives. I was just like, oh damn, like the talent's like crazy. It's like, it's just like indescribable. I can't even put words, like use words to describe how amazing the the talent is coming out of just like black folks in design it's just like beyond something yeah i just can't put it into words it's not something that you can just describe especially especially from what i saw in school and what i thought was good design and then seeing that and i'm just like oh that's mediocre compared to like what i'm seeing now um so i wish i would have seen that more because I think that would have pushed me even further to be stronger and better um and I think it just would have made me feel so much better because I did struggle like when I was at Scott I did struggle a lot with like imposter syndrome but I had like really 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 bad to the point where I had like like mental breakdowns that I was just like, I don't think that I'm doing the right thing. I don't know if this is what I should be doing. Luckily I had friends that were like reassuring that were just like, your way of thinking is great. And, and it's like, what, what, you know, some people need, but yeah, it was definitely discouraging um, because I just couldn't see myself in it. Um, so it's like, I wish I would have, I, w- I wish I would have seen myself in it, but I, I was strong enough to carry on, but I definitely did have like my, you know, potential breaking points for sure. I think as as we all do at, at some point, and I think realizing that is one of the things that makes us 
um, better designers, you know, mm-hmm. identifying and critically evaluating and then moving on from there and, mm-hmm. and finding new pathways and, and new ways of doing things. Yeah. yeah. A, a true hallmark of a great designer. Oftentimes people underestimate the power of representation mm-hmm. and how just seeing and having role models can do so much to you. I mean, me, it's mm-hmm. like having, you know, leaders come out, you know, was big and it made, it changed my idea of what could be achieved in the world for myself mm-hmm. too, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but I wanted to come back to this idea of defining what, what is good design, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Cause, and this is something, um, I've been struggling with mm-hmm. as I teach classes now is like, you know, I don't, I don't know if there's been like a really strong conversation in the design field about where our definition of good design comes from mm-hmm. and how that supports, could help support these structures as well. I mean, our, our design history that's taught and our definition of good design comes from high like these days like highly influenced from like the Bauhaus and modernist mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um you know that's something I'm struggling with and mm-hmm. um kind of redefining what good design is could also redefine what a good design hire is mm-hmm. in some people's minds a lot you know mm-hmm. yeah I so after all of this happened um, I definitely did have like some type of like, I'm still having some like introspective um, thoughts and whatnot because I went to a predominantly white institution where my education stems from whiteness and also white supremacy. So it's like, um, after the conference, I was kind of like, okay, how is, how, how, how are my designs and how is my you know, creative process perpetuating that. And then also just like really questioning again, like what good design is. I think it's a process. I I feel like it's just a journey to figure that out. Mm -hmm. I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, And I met with this crew called Design to Divest um, that kind of like came out of the uprising this summer too. They're really, really amazing. And we're sister initiatives now because we love them so much and they love us so much. And I was like, hey, can you get this like workshop and whatnot? They're like, well, we're happy to do it. And they talked about what is good design versus like what is bad design. And they pointed out that like what we, what most of us know as good design is white supremacy, right? And that like we really kind of shouldn't be judging things on like what is good design, what is bad design. We should be judging things at least start to judge things based off your discipline on like what is functional versus what is like dysfunctional. And even then we had this like amazing conversation about um, asking questions when you're designing something for someone, right? Like questioning like, um, okay, what am I designing? And then who am I giving it to? And should I be giving it to this person? And then, you know, if I'm going to be giving to this person, that's going to be giving it to other people. Like, is it good or is it bad? Like, who is it benefiting? And is it the right, is it, is it like the right population? Like, is it like the, like the right thing to do? If I get a design, you know, that 
um, has to do with like designing for a certain population that I don't relate to. Should I be designing it or should I pass it on to somebody who can relate to, you know, that population? Um, and even just like talking about like empathy and how empathy has just kind of been like weaponized in a way where it's just like we have put in empathy in our design process to where it's just like, okay, I need to figure out how I can relate to you. And when I can figure that out, um, since I can relate to you, I can therefore design, you know, this thing that is for you, but is, you know, I'm making it even though I am different from you, right? Like it's just super, super weird. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, it's just kind of like this journey of just like, cause I feel like when, when you talk about good design, it just branches off into so many things like, you know, the, you know, basis of what is good design, but also like the, the, the creative process that contributes to that. Um, so yeah, it's just like, I think it's starting to be a, a journey. And even then when we, when we posted a photo, I posted this like one screenshot of design to divest saying that good design is white supremacy, fuck good design. And a lot of people were just like, yeah, yeah. But a lot of people, some people were just like, um, what, so are we supposed to be making like bad design now? Like, you know, some things are, you know, goodness is subjective as well. So it's like, we can't just say fuck good design because that also depends on like the person and like who it's for and whatnot. But yeah, it's just like really complex. And it's just like something that like, I'm still thinking about. And even then I kind of feel like it's almost been like a design block for me. Cause I'm just like, shit, like, um, I'm designing something like, like, what, do, like, what do I do now? Because I don't, I don't want it to be harmful for anybody. Yeah. Well, I think one realization that I came to earlier this year, when I was thinking about that definition of good design is, um, even what is our definition of design? I mean, mm -hmm. I think we've, um, done a big disservice to other cultures in one, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, when I think about sustainable futures, right, I look back upon indigenous populations who are able to live sustainably for <laughs> centuries and, you know, hundreds of thousands of years. And why weren't they designers? Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. they were, they were doing and making things with similar purposes that we are today. And they did mm -hmm. it really, really well. But right. yet we refer to those as craftspeople and artists now. Mm -hmm. um, right. Yeah. So like, that's the question of just like getting to like, who gets to decide to decide like who's a designer and who's not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so then that kind of helped broaden my idea of like, what, what am I considering design? And then what am I pulling upon as like inspiration or pulling in? Mm -hmm. uh, which is interesting. I mean, I think there's a lot of opportunity for redefinition and rewriting history there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you ask me, Mitzi, I think you have a book in you somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I need to learn how to write first. Oh my God. <laughs> oh yeah. That's always been my dream is to write a, uh, to write a book, uh, like a Philip Meggs tome, <laughs> you know, that is just something that, that survives the generations. Yeah. Uh, I guess, I mean, I'm, I think where we've been at as, as a country and as an industry, it's, it's really <laughs> easy to focus on the past, but mm -hmm. I guess I'm, I'm curious to hear about what your vision and optimism or pessimism is for the future. Um, and what that, you know, vision mm. would be. 
Yeah, I feel like I'm constantly asking myself that question. And it's weird because I'm not that type of person that can see super far mm-hmm. into things. I don't even know what I'm going to be eating in like the next hour. Um, <laughs> but like, I think I have a goal in my mind that I'm really working towards just pushing the needle for diversity and representation so that we truly don't have to ask where the black designers anymore like we're 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 starting to really not ask that question anymore now that you know they're really at the forefront now that there's this like light on them but i think within the workplace right it's like i want to get to a place where black people can freely choose to go do anything they don't have to go to you know facebook to make all this like you know money they can go and just do whatever they want they can go in not be traumatized out of you know doing what they love that young children can like see themselves when they you know want to be a designer they don't have to go digging and searching and you know get excited when they see one black designer show up at their you know school or something like that um i don't know i think i think that's kind of i my goal was to shine a light on it and now my goal i think is to kind of like really continuously just like make that happen like really empower black designers to just be the best that they can be because they can be you know fierce leaders um with all the talent that I'm seeing, like, there's just like the potential is just like insane for, you know, them to just, for just black people to just like take the reins in and like design and truly like make it diverse and beneficial for anyone and like everyone. Like, it's just, it's so crazy. And I just want to work at harnessing that potential and just like really just making it come true because it's just so beautiful. Again, it's just like, I can't, I really, I, I'm at a loss of words when I describe it because it's just like, it's like seeing this like gem or like this like power and then just like not being able to describe to people how, how much good it can do for the entire world. Um, so it's like, I'm just trying to like push towards, um, that I think, because it's just so beautiful and everyone is just so caring and selfless and wanting to see others succeed um and it's just like i just want to share that i don't know that's that's such a lame answer but it's like because i can't i really just can't describe it but that's just kind of like what i'm envisioning so far i think that is an amazing answer Um, oh thanks (laughs) i think i think partly because you know like we we are recording this on the day in which the uh, 2020 election is Mm -hmm. being announced. And while we are celebrating the election of President-elect Joe Biden, Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm celebrating the vice president-elect Kamala Yeah. And, you know, I I have a little kid, a little kid who has a new role model today. And I think that that's the kind of thing that we need right now. We yeah. need role models that are able to put into words the things that are hopeful. 
yeah. and to see themselves in these positions and to be able to say that there, there is uh, an opportunity here and we don't mm -hmm. have to dream because mm -hmm. we can see it now. Yes. And I yes. think that's the way you described it. So thank you. Yeah. So Mitzi, thank you so much. We uh, like to end the show with a, uh, a segment we call to the recommendation list. Um, this being our COVID season, we thought we would uh, ask a couple of questions that uh, of things that you would recommend doing while while we're quarantining, while we are <laughs> nesting at home, while we're doing things. So I'm wondering if you have any recommendations of things to do during COVID. Hmm. Things to do during COVID. Well, besides taking care of yourself and resting and eating and hydrating. So I haven't, unfortunately, I haven't been reading that much because I've honestly, since the conference, I've just been sending like a lot of emails and trying to be accessible to people to like talk to and whatnot. Um, so if you want to talk to me, please send me a message. I will try to get to you. If you want to do something during COVID, we can talk. Um, but the other thing I would recommend is I fangirl over this, this woman all the time because I think she is a Black goddess, but I discovered her through the New York Times podcast, The Daily, and her name's Julia Bond, and she... And they did a piece on her where she was, she works at Adidas and she protested her own employer. And it was the most amazing story. But the thing is like, she's way more than that. Like she, her portfolio is amazing. Um, her work is amazing. The way she just kind of like lives is like just so organic and amazing. So I, I recommend talking or not talking, uh, listening to that episode. Um, and then just kind of like doing a deep dive on her. Um, and also, what else? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't really know. I think that's, that's mainly one of my recommendations. I think keep up with where the Black Sires, because we were always moving so fast. <laughs> and like, we're always just like jumping from one, one thing to the next. Right now we're in like our back to school fall series. And if you have time, we actually put them on our YouTube channel so you can go back and like watch them and like get some like knowledge and history on some black design, which I feel like is what we need in our curriculum. Um, nice. And yeah, that's, that's, I would probably say that's my recommendation. Awesome. Yeah, I was going to ask you about things you're reading, but I guess that kind of covers it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just more listening to things than like yeah. actually reading. Yeah. No, I surprisingly, like I've always been an avid reader and this year is probably the least I've ever read in my adult yeah. life, which has kind of surprised me. Right. <laughs> it's surprising that I'm the opposite this year. Yeah. Uh, as soon as the really? pandemic started, I got into a variety of different things. And one of them was trying to catch up on books and, and uh, articles that I've been holding on to. And similar to what I had said to you that I think there's a book in you, Mitzi. I feel like oh. there's a book in me somewhere and I'm trying <laughs> to figure out what that book is. Oh, I am inspired thanks. right now. Let me just say. <laughs> Thank you. Totally other topic. Um, I'm a huge music buff. Love music. <laughs> Always curious about what people are listening to, especially while they're designing. Is there anything... Hmm. That's a good question. So usually when I'm designing, I'm usually, I'm usually listening to like lo-fi hip hop instrumental beats, but 
I have this like sensual sad girl playlist on Spotify and I've just been so in love with like all these black women that make amazing music like I I'm like really obsessed with Cleo Soul. She, I think, is a British, a black British singer. She's great and she's like super groovy. And then for some reason, I've just been super into like Chloe and Hallie. They've had some type of like reawakening and I'm just like really here for it. Mm. And then, yeah, I just... Yeah, it's my my playlist is public, so you can go like peer into it. But I'm usually either listening to like black female R and B or just like some like soul, what I call soul food, soul soul food music, which is like early like '80s like R and B or or funk, um, and sometimes like just some good disco. So yeah, that's what I'm listening to. Sounds great. Thank you. Well, Mitzi, thank you again for your uh, time today. Uh, you are an inspiration to so many of us, um, and it was inspiring listening to you. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. I had fun. Thank you. This is Design School is recorded in the field where design happens. The music for This is Design School is composed and recorded by Michael R. Clark. You can find Michael online at musiclabtacoma.com. For additional information about each episode, visit thisisdesign.school. We'd love to hear what you like, what you don't like, and what you want to hear in the future. Follow the podcast on Twitter at T-I-D-S Podcast. Also, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. And share us with your designer friends. Bye for now.